0: Sometimes a show you love will lightest a spark in your heart, on the couch, with your family. But in the blink of an eye, it's all gone. It's One and Done
1: TV. Hello and welcome to One and Done TV. I am your co-host, Ian Hamilton. And I am the thing that
0: comes after the ampersand, John Polking.
1: And this is the podcast where we review television shows that were canceled after one season. Isn't that right, John?
0: That is right. We are going from the urban to the suburban, as uh, the tagline for this show calls for. And we are dancing on the graves of the shows left behind us, figuring out what they did, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them one and done. Today, we are talking about Method and Red. But before I butcher that title with my whiteness so many Too more late. times, I know it's going to keep happening. What are you watching, Ian?
1: Uh, I'm just checking in on a couple things. Um, oh. Recently, just rewatched uh, the end of season three of Party Down. Oh, I was going to talk
0: about Party Down.
1: Well, I am I was just a little disappointed that it's only six episodes. Yeah, me too. Um, so that's all I had to say about that. We'll talk about it more when, when it's your turn, okay? Okay. Um, the other thing is I'm watching Lucky Hank, and I'm caught up on that. And that show is something that I'm enjoying, even though it's not great. Uh, it's a little bit like divorce for me, and I don't exactly know why I keep watching it because – Like, the character dynamics are good, but the story is very weak, and ultimately it's just, like, got a lot of compelling moments, and I think it's kind of introspective, but it's really not very entertaining, Um, but the latest (laughs) episode is definitely the best episode so far, so, you know, it's got legs, but I'm very afraid that uh, this is going to be a show I watch just because Bob Odenkirk and Paul Lieberstein and Cedric Yarbrough are involved, you know? We all go for the Yarbrough. Right. And then also I'm, I'm almost done with the offer. And I just want to say that I'm directing uh, uh, quite a picture coming up. Actually, I'm producing it. The director is Roman Polanski. It's Chinatown. It's going to be a smash hit. Just I'm just telling you that.
0: Nobody's um, Nobody knows what accent. You told me what impression you were doing before you did it because you're right. so proud of yourself
1: the president of paramount in the Offer*'s name is bob evans and i have just been doing his voice all week and it's been a lot of fun for me in my my silent quiet dark moments alone that i i'm just like ian Everything's going to be just fine, baby. It's going to be golden. This picture's going to go really well, okay? You're gonna be Sure, everything's tough right now, but when we get through it, you're going to be a star, baby. You're going to make millions and millions of dollars, and everybody's going to be rich. Your kid will stay in the picture. That's pretty
0: good. Thank you. How's mine, though? Like, really? How is it? It's pretty good. I, it's been a long time since I've seen The Kid Stays in the Picture, and I have not watched The Offer, so...
1: Oh, okay. The Kid Stays in the Picture. Uh, John, what are you watching, then? Well, Party Down.
0: Uh, That is, like, the one big thing that I finished. Unless you want to hear me talk about the 10th season of Below Deck, which was a treasure. (laughs) But Party Down ended recently, six episodes, could have gone for 40. I love every second of that show. And they actually ended on a bit of a cliffhanger, which I was kind of surprised by. Very
1: surprising.
0: Yeah, but overall, it was just more of the same. You know, they know their formula. They hit it well. The stars are fantastic. Stars, the network may not be fantastic, but the comedy is just top notch. I mean, I would have
1: loved a little bit more Ken Marino,
0: I think. I don't know. It felt like he kind of went to the background a little bit.
1: I mean, the whole show right now is them juggling everybody's schedule. <laughs> it you does know? feel
0: like that. The fact that... Jane Lynch and Megan Mullally were in the opening credits or, like, our top build in this show, and they maybe appear in half of the six episodes, and Jane Lynch, mostly on a screen, is complete nonsense.
1: Yeah, meanwhile, Adam Scott's off getting nominated for Best Dramatic Actor, and he's able to, you know, be in most of the series. is pretty crazy to me. But luckily, that is kind of how the first two seasons went anyway, with... Uh, Jane Lynch popping in and out because she was a part of the show then joined Glee during the second season but still kind of, you know, popped in and out so weirdly the continuity is there but it is a function of people just being too busy
0: Yeah, but the new cast members were great I really love Ryan Hansen every time I see him pop up I don't know what it is about him he's just got that sort of lovable affability to him even though he's kind of a wang, but (laughs) he's a great wang. Speaking of a studly performance, I think it's showtime.
1: Five, four, three, two, one, showtime!
0: Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, Dharma and Greg. While the 2004 Fox sitcom Method and Red may have aspired to be among those iconic TV duos, it ended up being more like Thelma and Louise as it drove off into the sunset after one abridged season.
1: Wow, um, abridged because it was canceled after only nine episodes came out. Right? Nine of
0: the thirteen that they filmed.
1: Yes, I think that is a really great way to start things off, John, because <laughs> I'm not super familiar with uh, Method Man and Redman outside of TV, but. As I was watching this show and I was trying to figure out their sort of comedy dynamic in it, I was like, wow, this is just Laurel and Hardy. This yeah. is just Abbott and Costello. It's There's a guy with a plan and then there's the sidekick that's kind of goofy. I mean, they're both funny and dumb in their own ways, but that's very much the dynamic here, right? Right, yeah.
0: I mean, it is a very sort of traditional straight person, and, you know, wrench-thrower inner. And it started a couple years before with uh, the movie How High, which I only know as a DVD box cover, but apparently it was a decent enough success story. I looked it up. It made $30 million off of a $20 million budget, you know? So it did well, especially for a movie about two guys that smoke magical weed and end up acing their college entrance exams and getting into Harvard.
1: Wow. So Okay. Yeah. Did you ever see How High? No, I didn't, but I get it confused with the uh Dave Chappelle one.
0: Oh, right. Uh half baked. Yes. Yeah. I mean they were around the same time. I think How High was like just a little bit after that. But you know, their collaboration kind of goes back to the mid nineties. Method Man is one of the members of the Wu Tang clan and Redman was Redman. It's I get Okay, here's where I get thrown off. Method Man is two words, and Red Man is one word. You know, that's why you got to abbreviate it just Method and Red. Method and Red. It works out. It rolls off the tongue nicely. But Red Man was a member of uh, Def Jam Productions, I think the Def Squad. And they first, I think, collaborated on actually Tupac's album, All Eyes on Me, in like the mid-90s. And... From there, they became solo artists and a duo together, and they had their first full single, which was called How High, and then that sort of spun their relationship. So that was like the mid-90s. How High was 2001. This show was 2004.
1: But I cannot imagine that that single is a comedy single, and yet then they spin it off and make it a comedy movie, Right.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think they spin it off. I think they just kind of use that recognition to bring in an audience into what is sort of a traditional, wacky, high-premise comedy. And that kind of gets to, I think, this show as well. Uh, I was reading a couple interviews with Method Man at the time because the show was created by Method Man and another writer named Kel Cahoon. And so Method Man was, at least from a credit standpoint, more
1: of the creative driving force of it. But this Kel Cahoon looks like he's a 90s comedy stalwart, you know? He worked on The John Larroquette Show, and more importantly, The Larry Sanders Show, King of the Hill, Titus John, Titus! And then he
0: had a run on Psych a few years after Method and Red. But yeah, the show was kind of populated with a few of these sort of sitcom stalwarts. I mean, and just comedy stalwarts too. Like I looked through the director's list and their credits and it was just like Malcolm in the Middle and Night Court. And there were just all these people that were kind of staples within the broadcast sitcom community. But you also have a few sort of rising stars among the writer's room. Did you notice, like, Phil Lord and Chris Miller? This was the first show that they did after Clone High. Yep. And Carter Bays and Craig Thomas, who one year later would go on to create How I Met Your Mother, they were on the staff, too. And, And Lord and Miller wrote on How I Met Your Mother as well, so that might have been how they got together, too. So it was this kind of combination of I think, very traditional network minds and people trying to do something a little subversive, which you do kind of get within the context of the show, at least, when you watch it. It felt a bit like a clash of that kind of idea.
1: Yeah, there were some jokes in the show that were a bit racist, but they were coming out of Method Man Redmond's mouth or something. And I'm like, well, They're giving the stamp of approval. They think it's funny, but I can tell that this is so written by white dudes (laughs) that I just don't know how to feel about all this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I do. And I will
0: go to a MTV interview that Method and Red did sort of shortly before the show premiered because it also came out a little after the movie Soul Plane, which was Mm. hit with similar criticisms. And they were asked about, you know, drawing on racial stereotypes. And Method, I believe, was the one that said, they're there to be laughed at. The more people make big issues out of stereotypes, the more the stereotypes are going to have that heat behind them. But when you take that away from it and learn to laugh at these things, it takes away from it. So the stuff that you are pointing to was very intentionally sort of overt and obnoxious in that way. But I do agree that as a viewing experience, it can come off a little icky sometimes.
1: Well, yeah, it's not even just icky. It's a little bit like been there, done that. Yeah. Like it doesn't fully feel like it's Method and Red's voice. You know what I mean?
0: No, I do get that. And it's an interesting time, I feel like, where the East Coast and West Coast rappers have had like a decade under their belts and now they're getting a little older and they're trying to get something a little bit more established like think about this in a period of time like this is around when ice cube was doing like are we there yet you know it's right this sort of next evolution i feel like of rappers of that generation trying to find something that can bring their audience with them into something that's a little bit more mass appeal which I think is interesting. And like going back to that idea of how high, you know, how high was a single and they used how high in the title of that movie, not necessarily to say that the movie is a spin-off of it, but just to sort of give a nod to the fans of Method and Red and sort of, again, champion them into potentially what they hope would be the sort of next phase of their career.
1: Before we get too deep into the show, I do have a story about Method Man. Because he was on the Deuce, mm-hmm. uh, he played a pimp. That was a big. I think he's in all eight episodes of the first season. He's a and,
0: big part of it, yeah. And right, I mean, Me- yeah. Method was like the big one who became like a very established actor. I feel like after this
1: show, too. Oh, absolutely. He's got plenty of credits, and that show is created by David Simon. I think he did a great job of casting someone who feels, you know, real in the world of it, but also has his own notoriety. And Method was in
0: The Wire, too.
1: Right, exactly. exactly. So my Method Man story is he was around all the time. I was on set for like six months, probably three days a week as an extra. I have a line in it, you know. Can he give it to us? Whoa, John, that's asking too much. Yeah. <laughs> That was the line. It was well. Uh, so I was around a lot, and there would be a lot of downtime between takes. We would spend eight to 10 hours a day either on the set of a bar or walking up and down um, Amsterdam Avenue, I think it is. Uh, on like I'm 163rd not going to Street. You on it. No, yeah, it's fine. Uh, New Yorkers will. But that's okay. New know. Yorkers, right.
0: come after me in Milwaukee. I dare
1: you. Hop no, on the Amtrak and me, find John. me. Find me. <laughs> Hop on the Amtrak. Have a pleasant 24-hour trip, probably. Much longer than it is to drive. Eat some chicken piccata uh, and enjoy yourself. Almost as expensive yourself. as flying. Yeah. <laughs> uh Okay, but my Method Man story is we were in this bar, there was downtime, they were setting up a new shot, and all of a sudden, he just starts freestyling. And it's one of those things where I caught it a bit, and the people around me caught it, and then all of a sudden, everybody just goes quiet. And this is a set that must have 50 people on it at least, and everyone just stops and listens to him freestyling for several minutes and we all just kind of sat there knowing like i'm not a huge fan of his but we knew that there was like a it was a moment there was something happening and it was special and working in the entertainment industry is interesting because i've been involved in a lot of situations where i'm like wow this is cool and i'm glad to be here but i know that someone would kill to be me right now Mm mm-hmm There are a lot of people out there that would have killed to have been in my shoes at that moment. And when those moments pop up, you got to appreciate them. And also, he is very nice and very cool, takes the time to talk to everybody. Uh, Anyone that comes up to him, he signs autographs. He was probably the most gracious, famous person I've been around in that regard.
0: That's lovely to hear
1: yeah I've said this before and I'll say it again nice people are good nice people are good John yeah
0: I make bold statements here
1: yeah this is a bold podcast well you might
0: have seen him on the deuce but did the show take a deuce we'll examine the show itself after this commercial break boo
1: (laughs) and now a word from our sponsors Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One TV. Email us, oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. Highlight.
0: This would be the time where I would probably get into just a quick overview of what the show actually is. I wanted to put it into the words of Method Man, though, in this interview that he did uh, shortly before the show came out, gave a quick synopsis. Um, I am not going to put on any affects. This is not in a language and cadence that I would not speak in, so we'll just call this an exploration of John's white voice corner. Here's what he said. We move into a gated community and turn that son of a bitch on its head. But hey, it's Method Man and Red Man. What do you expect, dog? Which I think sums it up pretty perfectly.
1: Yeah, yeah and that pretty much is the show in a nutshell, is that they move into a gated community and they clash with all the other rich people that live there. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's a
0: very traditional sitcom premise. I mean, it starts with a sort of white neighbor real estate lady uh, who they frequently call neighbor lady, just neighbor lady throughout the show. She's showing a house. She's like, oh, look at this beautiful palatial mansion. And she's trying to get these people to sign paperwork before. You hear them down the street. Method Man and Red Man come into the show with a hootie-hoo. And they're rolling in with uh, all their cars and all their ladies. And they have what seems to be a never-ending party at their huge mansion.
1: Yeah, every episode, there's at least a party going on in the background. If not, an A or B storyline going on that is specifically about that party.
0: I did admire that unless the show is about a party or them having that party, they almost never address all the background nonsense that's happening.
1: Right. The assumption is they're just, they have a party house and there's just always people there doing whatever, you know, know. uh, they just have a speaker system that's set up where if you turn it on, you know, two women in cages, uh, that are dancing in the cages just descend from The ceiling, and that's the kind of house they live in. There's a giant fishbowl in the middle of a hallway for a little bit, and the staircase that goes up to the second floor is one of those circular rooms where it's got staircases on either side of it. Mm -hmm. Right. I know what you're
0: talking about. I don't know if you're doing a good job of
1: describing it to the listener, but you are— It's a classic rich person thing to have in movies and TV.
0: Yeah. I mean, they also have plasma screens— literally everywhere. I think in every right. shot, there's at least two plasma screens, sometimes within drawers, sometimes like within toilets, like in a hot tub. They have a sort of pimp cup dispenser that, you know, almost like you pull a pimp cup out and it's almost like a paper cup
1: sort of thing. That one's all gold, right? That yeah, Oh yeah. There's a lot of gold. And there's a lot of just like couches and chilling. And, you know, at one point they're Playing chess, but they're doing shots. But it's just in the middle of the day, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, where they're oh, just yeah. like, there's a party, they're playing chess, they're doing shots, then they're going off to hang out with the neighbor lady to argue with her, but also help and mentor her child. Yes. I do, just before we get on to that part,
0: you just like fired a synapse for me in that I think. There were almost never like night shoots here. I think almost everything happens during the day, which I like to think was just people that wanted
1: to get home to their families. And you know what? God bless. You know what? There was one thing that happened at night and I specifically noticed it because it was lit weird. Yeah. And then they went to somebody's office and it was still nighttime and the lighting was weird. So I think that's something I noticed without noticing. And you're right. I didn't clock it at all Although, until you just said that. A lot of this was shot on a set, though. Oh, yeah. I think especially episode three, I want to say, they got more and more, like, Fox <laughs> single camera show set-ish. Like, I took a picture of one of the frames because for a minute, I thought they literally were just on the Malcolm in the Middle set.
0: Oh, yeah. Because the house looked get so
1: similar to it.
0: The grass is very apparent when you look at the grass.
1: Right. And then around episode three or four, they start saying stuff like, oh, they're probably stuck at the Lincoln Tunnel or, oh yeah, we're going to the Meadowlands. And I'm like, oh, I guess they live in New York. Yeah. Well, they live
0: in New Jersey.
1: Right. Or Long Island. It is New Jersey, but for a while I just assumed it was California and then it wasn't. So, (laughs) you know, it was just like generic mansion. Fox set it was a lot like cracking up as well i was we thinking also... the same
0: thing i felt like it was the same cracking up set especially right. in that house
1: which is one of our earliest episodes and it's just like fox has a certain type of set and you can just tell
0: it has a lighting too there are camera movements to their single
1: camera shows that do that yeah it's it's a vibe Uh, Describing the show a little bit more, Uh, they also live with Method's mama, who is a main character, and usually trying to please her or not disappoint her is like the crux of the issues that they're having in Mm -hmm. a story, right? Right,
0: yeah. And quick side note, I was looking it up, that actor who played Method's mom played red man's mom in how high
1: wow so they
0: clearly just love working with this woman
1: she's got 127 credits so she has been working and that is also like one of the
0: big catalysts that they say early on for why they moved out to the suburbs why they moved out to new jersey from new york because method man he goes into this whole thing about yeah, we wanted the space, we wanted the security, even though we didn't need it. We wanted a place to party. But the real reason we did it, and then they cut to Dorothea, I believe is her character's name, Method's mom, kind of walking in. And she is just so proud of being able to live in a house this nice. And that is sort of the thrust that pushed them out to the suburbs. I'm really
1: glad that you caught a why, because I... Just got that the premise was they were there and that is going to be fun because these are two clashing societies living together. Like, even right off the bat, they didn't really explain why they were there or who they were even. It was just like, oh, it's Method and Red. You know them. Okay. They didn't explain who they were uh, and they definitely
0: made you kind of assume that you knew who they were but they also really didn't get into their rap career at all. No. I mean other than the opening theme, there is zero rapping in the entire show.
1: Right, which made me very interested in their like comedy duo dynamic. I was like, are we supposed to assume that they're Method and Red from real life, but then like Red is very stupid in the show. Yeah. Right? I think it's just,
0: they call it like a heightened version of themselves.
1: Sure, sure.
0: So, I mean, I'm sure that there's certain personality quirks that are shared, but overall, you know, they are just that, like you said, Laurel and Hardy is the ultimate comparison.
1: And I just, I'm making a point of all that to say that how the show starts off, we're just kind of like, hey, you get it, they're in this fish-out-of-water scenario, enjoy.
0: Okay, but there is an extended scene in the pilot where they get a goldfish and they explain why they are there to that goldfish.
1: I was just confused by the goldfish. I didn't even catch any of that.
0: You didn't? (laughs) It was like shot
1: through a goldfish
0: bag. It had this weird sort of filter to it where they were explaining like, there's the girls, there's the booze. There's the we can't say weed on network television that's also there. But really, it's for mom.
1: Right. And the goldfish stuck around for a couple episodes until they kind of dropped that. Yeah. The goldfish probably died. It's what goldfish do. That's true. Also, that goldfish had the biggest jowls I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. A real uh,
0: Wilford Brimley sort of fish that we had. Yeah. Go in there.
1: But yeah,
0: the mom stuff was a lot of the thing, you know, they want to, for example, one of the episodes is about her celebrating her 25th anniversary at the toll booth that she works at. Even though she lives in this really nice house, she still wants to work because work is value for her. And so she's celebrating her anniversary and they're like, we got to throw her a party. She loves Shaka Khan. So God bless us. We get a Shaka Khan cameo as well as a Kenny Loggins cameo. In the same episode. Oh, really yeah. laid it on. Mom loves method. Mom hates red is also a very sort of clear dynamic.
1: But she beats them both with a rolled-up magazine any chance she gets. So love and hate are very close together in this show.
0: As they are in life. They're right next to each other in the brain.
1: Right. Just like they are right next to their neighbor lady and her family and the co-op board. And that's pretty much it with this show. I feel like a lot of it is they're arguing with their neighbor lady who is played by
0: Beth Littleford, who was on The Daily Show for a while. Like you right. would recognize her in a heartbeat if you Googled her.
1: But the thing about it is I totally thought she was Steve Carell's wife until Natalie pointed out. I think that I've always thought they were the same person.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Right. I definitely could see that. But she is the sort of hard nosed member of the homeowners association that, like, right out the gate, she's like trying to evict them, and right. they're so they're clashing with her against like, you can't have these kinds of bushes in your yard. You can't be playing music that loud. And her husband, who's a lawyer, right? Uh, sure. A guy named Bill, who is sort of the white bread, you know pushover guy who gets steamrolled by his wife all the time, but secretly sort of aspires to be friends with Method and Red. Right. He
1: plays a lawyer in probably everything (laughs) that he acts in. I think Mm -hmm. he just is a lawyer. You know, that's his thing. But yeah, a lot of it with him and with some of their other friends in the neighborhood is like when they're hanging out with them, they're just so happy to let loose And act black.
0: That is fair, especially when it comes to their son, Skylar, who just idolizes these guys. And it was a weird sort of development of that relationship between Skylar and Method and Red, because I think it sort of started off as uh, this kid, he's just trying his best. And then it turned really combative really quickly, where it seemed like they hated his presence any second that he was around.
1: I think that they were trying to turn the sort of story trope on its head of, like, the, you know, magical black people that are here to fix the white people's problems. Yeah. Uh, And they did a pretty good job of subverting that, I thought. But yeah, there's one point where he comes over and he's like, hey, Method and Red, like, how can I get this girl to like me? And they're like, why are you always coming over here? Who do you think we are? Bill Cosby? Like, get out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a couple times too where they start to explain things that are like, well, you know what you got to do is you got to listen. Boy, who the hell do you think we are? <laughs> like, right, right, yeah.
1: And uh, so, but it starts out that way, and then eventually, I think they're like, oh, we can't just be that show where we're fixing the white people's problems. You know, I think that they figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah, um,
0: they create. Th- Enough of their own problems, if you will. Ho ho. A lot of them at the expense of, you know, Redman forgetting stuff, but they do a good job at not always making Redman the fool. And then there's even a couple times where, like, Method Man screws something up and Redman is genuinely surprised that he isn't the one that failed in the situation.
1: Right. I mean, some of Redman's blunders are like, There's an episode where he's been playing Xbox for six days straight. And he's been sitting really close to the screen. So, like, he's basically blind Mm -hmm. from this. And uh, the whole episode, they're, like, trying to fix a problem. And he can't see anything. And then he's like, you know what, Redman? I'm going to take you to the strip club. And the strip club is just the eye doctor. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of Redman's other blunders?
0: So there's this whole episode where they are trying to get investors for a state-of-the-art arena that they decide they're going to call the Methodome at the Red Man Lands or Redlands,
1: something right. like that,
0: which is a good sort of play on uh
1: Metal that. Lands.
0: Yeah. And they are trying to get these investors. They hear from Bill, the lawyer, that there's this a whale of a client who is uh, sitting on all this money and they get introduced to Carmen Electra who has a tiny dog and is a little annoying. And so they're trying to woo Carmen Electra in order to give them this money for the stadium. Uh, But then it turns out that Carmen Electra is a spy for Yao Ming because when they were like front row at a Knicks game, Years ago, they spilled food on the court and made Yao Ming slip on the court. And ever since then, the three of them have had a huge beef. Which I was like, that was appropriately silly.
1: Well, and that was another episode where it was kind of like a Red Man blunder of like, they're trying to woo Carmen Electra to get her money that they at that point think is real. But Red Man is just trying to hit on her. And then he gets with her and then she starts immediately being like gosh when are we going to get married and all this stuff and method man's like hey we are after the money you know don't just hit it and quit it here okay like we are after a bigger goal than just sex and it was pretty fun to watch her like get really into him and him like trying to squirm away but that was that was a pretty much a red man blunder right there a CRB, a classic Redman Blunder. <laughs> That's a CRB right there. Uh, it was also, I think, the same episode with the butt slapping? Maybe. Yeah.
0: That was another sort of Skylar the Kid and Method Man having crossed wires in terms of giving good advice on what growing up means.
1: So... The kid gets in trouble because he slaps his mom's behind because he saw it in one of Method and Red's videos. So then Method's mom gets Method to talk to the kid about it. But in going over to the house to talk to him about it, there's a fly that lands on his mom's butt. And Method, in trying to kill the fly, ends up slapping her butt in front of the kid, thus making everything worse. And then he has to go to the school for some reason uh, because, because the he butt slapping is out of control.
0: The principal on the butt—that oh, was my the gosh. whole thing. He slapped the principal on the butt, and then Method Man goes to apologize to the principal, and a tarantula crawls up the principal's backside, and so Method Man smacks her butt, and then kids are looking on from the outside of the principal's
1: office, and then they just go on a smack butt frenzy. Right. And the news story about it is it's called Methodizing. Liberals say it's just a friendly slap on the buttock, but parents say it's going to become a gateway to harder and more sinister gestures and probably drugs.
0: (laughs) It's a very heightened, silly, silly show.
1: The next episode, they're supposed to host a special for MTV and they end up hosting Miss Ghetto USA. Mm-hmm. That was pretty weird. I guess I'm just highlighting some of these strange storylines because that's what the show is. It is yeah. strange storyline after strange storyline.
0: There's another one about like them cutting down a cherry tree that uh, Method's mom has been growing ever since he was a little boy. Like it is very stereotypical sitcom, but has a bit of a weird twist to it usually.
1: Right. So that episode, basically they end up being presidents of the co-op association or right. what, whatever that is in their, their little... Who knows? Right. So it just is a big excuse to let them take advantage of the power of being president of this little white suburban community for a little while. But then they get so uh, engrossed in abusing the power that they forget to save the tree and then it gets cut down. Um mm-hmm. A lot of this show is all A story
0: and then just
1: goofy filler for 20 minutes, right?
0: That's an excellent point. Yeah, there is nary a B story to be found Truly, in this entire show.
1: And if there's a B story, it's just that they're doing A story and it's upsetting Mama, so we have to dance around her while still trying to do A story. One other highlight of this show I want to discuss with you, John, is just the camera work, Right? because the stories are so loose and they just are like having fun all the time that like the camera work and the flashbacks and the bleeping, but the meta aspect of it where it's like, hey, why'd you bleep that? That's not a swear. Like it feels like they were doing a lot of things to just be crazy, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, the editing, too, was bananas. Like, they would show the same shot a couple times, like, right in a row. And it really seemed like they were just kind of filling time. Yeah, it felt like a sort of that era Nickelodeon afternoon show, almost. Like, that kind of energy and the sort of quick zooms in yes to and that kind of stuff and tilting the camera
1: sometimes they'd literally just fast forward to your yeah. point
0: right yeah there would be a long shot and you'd hear the like thing it was confusing to say the least
1: yeah but it's a big part of the show of the big character part. of the show is that they just kind of did whatever they wanted sometimes they're like you know it'd be fun uh, if in this shot, while he's saying this line, we just throw the camera at his face, basically. They don't do that. Yeah. But, but basically, they're like, uh, yeah, Method, um, when you're saying, give me some more orange juice, we're just going to like, you know, like music video, whoop, 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 the camera in and out on your face for no reason.
0: I think the sound effects that we have been using are... <laughs> Very indicative of the... Like, no, they're very emblematic of the kind of show that this was. It was a very, whoa, and a, hi ya 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 kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think more than any of the words that we've used to describe the show, the noises of, whoa-wow, are more apt.
1: Yeah, we might as well just use sound effects from now on if we're trying to describe it. On that note, let's and get to a
0: And now a word from our sponsors. Project Skeptic brings you PodFest 2023 April 23rd through the 29th. Seven episodes in seven days featuring... Brent Hand from Hysteria 51, Justin Zinger from Zing This, Andy Hart from Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast, David Flora of Blurry Photos, and Ron of The Twisted Ten. Be there. April 23rd through the 29th on Project Skeptic. Ian, there was a lot of energy put into this show, a lot of energy on the camera, a lot of goofy hijinks, a lot of wacky anecdotes that can be pulled from this. But did it stick with you? Would you want to see more of Method in Red?
1: It was not that sticky, icky I desire. I would not renew. (laughs) Um, It was funny. There were a lot of jokes, though. I laughed a lot, but it was all a story. It didn't have a solid foundation to stand on. Basically, the only storylines they could come up with were doing stuff with the co-op board, feuding with the neighbor, or doing stuff with Mama. Um, It didn't really feel like they had developed a rich enough world for me to keep coming back to. Mm. And then because basically it was all a story every episode, the episodes felt pretty long to me. It Mm -hmm. was like, how can we stretch this story out and just include a lot of nonsense in the middle? And Method and Red were funny. I don't think they were the problem at all. I think the problem was with the writing. Um, It wasn't very imaginative. Also, coming from seasoned comedy writers, I don't think they did anything good with it as far as how you can layer stories together and make them clash or anything like that. You know, it wasn't even, even with the stuff that's like, oh, we need to hide this from mama. You know, they could have done some farce there or something like that. It it just kind of felt like the story would be set off and then it would just kind of keep rolling along until it was over. You know, like there was no satisfaction from watching this show because there weren't any real stakes and you didn't always totally understand what was going on, which again, it was funny. I will say this might be the funniest show that I would not renew, that I actually did enjoy watching plenty of it, even though I don't want to watch another episode. (laughs) There's a lot of good, I think, from the performances and from just the, like, let's have fun aspect of things. But as far as, like, somebody created a show and wanted it to last 100 episodes, I thought it was a piss-poor job from the writers and the producers. Even the Phil Lord and Chris Miller episode, it was funny enough, but I think that the way that the show goes. They didn't have a lot to work with. But enough about me, John, and not having enough to work with in my life. (laughs) Would you renew? I would agree
0: with you for the most part. I would not renew, but I did laugh a lot. I don't think that the writing was as much of an issue as you did. I think that there was a lot of solid dialogue, a lot of good sort of one-off things I wrote down, I think, my favorite, which was in one episode, there was like a circus in their backyard for some random reason, and they mentioned a unidonkey as an animal. Right. And they said that the original unidonkey could fly, and then one of them cuts it as like the unidonkey thought he could fly. The kid put crack in his oats. (laughs) So I really like those kinds of asides, and I completely agree Uh, Method Man and Red Man are genuinely very funny as a duo, and I think they work really well together, and I can see why people would want to build a show around this. And honestly, I think there is a genuinely funny show somewhere in here. But the editing was obnoxious. The camera work was weird. uh, The point about the 8th story, I think, is spot on, that it dragged because of it, and also we haven't even mentioned the laugh track. There was a fricking laugh track in a single camera show. And I don't know if you were going to get into this with your Dunzo awards, but it was the saddest laugh track I think I've ever heard in a show. Not just like bad, but
1: sad. Did they stop using it at a certain point? No. And that was the
0: weird part about it because it would like come in sometimes and it would be like off timed and it would just be like, (laughs) (laughs) that to me was so sort of emblematic of why the show didn't work was that it was somebody thinking that there was a good idea that they were throwing in to help the show but they didn't go hard enough into it to make it work as an integral part of the show like that's how I felt about the laugh track that's how I felt about a lot of the elements that were kind of thrown in there it felt like a too many cooks sort of situation. And so as it was, it didn't work. What it could be, though, maybe something there. And I'm glad that some of the writers went on to do their own stuff and put their own weird spin on things. But this wasn't it.
1: Yeah, I think that if you give a different writer an opportunity to just craft a better story for them, and background for what it is. Like, they could totally have their own show, and it could totally be a hit. But the way it started and the whole premise was just very weak.
0: Yeah. I got to admit, though, I was surprised at how much I did legitimately enjoy a lot of it.
1: Me too. I was ready to hate it.
0: I was too. I was ready right out the gate, you know, with the sort of stylistic choices to be like, oh, no. Uh Uh-oh. But it won me over more times than... I think it had any right to, honestly. Agreed. For what seemingly was a cash grab, like Method Man and Red Man trying to make their coin, it was better than it needed to be.
1: But... I don't think I agree with the term cash grab because I got to think that in one way, this was Fox trying to have more diverse programming. And... Yeah,
0: that's true. I mean, Method Man talked in a different interview about how... And I think this is an excellent point that they didn't do enough Fox being they, they didn't do enough to sort of bring in the audience that method man and red man were bringing to Fox. Agreed. You know, Fox was sort of positioning itself as we're going to introduce you to a wider audience. And the two of them, it seemed like went into this idea with no man, we're going to introduce people to your network. Like we have a fan base that you have not captured. Right. And it didn't seem like either one of those objectives were met because of that. But maybe we'll talk about what things did work with some of our Dunzo Awards. That's right, it's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the neighbor down the street, it could be the bats in your attic, whatever they may be, we have decided to give these shows, they're just desserts. Ian and I each have two Dunzo Awards to give out to whatever we
1: damn well please. Ian, what's your first Dunzo Award? My first Dunzo is the Willing Suspension of Disbelief Award, which I will not give to this show, (laughs) because between filming it and the set and the production and the house that they supposedly lived in, none of this ever felt lived in. It never felt like a world I was stepping into. Most of the time when they were in their own house, I was like, I think this is a new set for the same room that we've been in before. Like there was no familiarity in the house that so much of the show took place in, like except for the one big circular room with the two staircases. (laughs) I felt like maybe the joke is just that the house is so big. There's a thousand rooms, but they didn't even look like real rooms. Like the thing you pointed out earlier with the golden cups, Clearly, that was just painted gold, and it was Mm -hmm. done terribly. Like, I don't know if the set design and the prop department were doing a bad job or if they were not given the right resources or time to produce things well. And by the way, we watched all this on YouTube, and it was in 320p or whatever. (laughs) So the lowest quality you could watch a show... Yeah. You could still see how bad the set design was. (laughs) It was awful. And then even when they're in the backyard, they changed the backyard a couple episodes into it, and that was like such a set. It was just clearly a set after a set after a set, except for the rare moments when they shot outside in front of the houses. It was a set, but it was not an asset. Thank you, John. And you know what? Our listeners, thank you for that, too. (laughs) Uh, It just was so poorly made to me between the producing, the writing, and the design of the whole thing. It just never felt like a cohesive piece of television. The disjointedness of how it was filmed and how it was produced to the two leads in the show with the writing staff. It felt so disjointed as a whole. And I never, ever, ever felt myself relax into what was going on so I could just enjoy it. It always felt like I was watching a poorly made piece of TV. And again, (laughs) that is not Method and Red's fault.
0: No. No. I do agree. It does definitely feel like that lack of cohesion was a part of the fabric of the show. In sometimes a literal sense.
1: Yes. It's... Integral to understanding the show, to understand that much of it did not make sense together. John, what's your first Dunzo?
0: My first Dunzo award goes to the saddest birthday party. And I'm going to give that to <laughs> Skylar's uh, birthday party. And I believe it's episode two, because that was the episode that had uh, what I was almost going to give this Dunzo award to, which was the best uh, name to say, which is Keith Debeatham. And they love to say DeBeetham. Oh, it's such a fun thing to say. Keith DeBeetham. Amazing. Amazing name. But the whole thing is Skylar has a birthday party, and he's a loser at the school that he's at. Mind you, this kid's probably, what, like 10, 11, or he's supposed he's 14 playing 10 or 11, and he wants Method and Red to like show up at his party so that he gets to seem cool. But his mom has booked, and this was actually one of my favorite side gags. It was a sort of Power Rangers ripoff called Ultra Squad 4. Yes. Where they were on this like three inch platform playing out like an episode of this kids TV show that Skylar says is a show that he liked when he was like five years old. And they're playing off of this villain who is called Narnok the Destroyer. And it's just basically this weird swamp thing costume. And these poor actors just have to, in front of this kid's birthday party, like, we're going to fight you, Narnok. But you know what? We need our jetpacks to do that. But our jetpacks don't run on fuel, they run on applause. <laughs> and then, like, Skylar's mom is the one that is applauding, and all the other kids are just miserable. I enjoyed that, especially when the Ultra Squad 4 guys had to fight Method and Red, uh, and they were just doing like backflips, and all Method and Red did was just move out of the way. Um, So a sad birthday party, but an amusing one to watch.
1: That episode had one of my favorite—clearly, it was just like a punch-up gag that was in there, and uh, they're always having parties at their house— and he's like, Red, you can't leave the door open. Y'all going to let too much booty in here. And they go over to a sign that says maximum, maximum capacity, capacity of booty. Yeah, 150. And he was like, the fire marshal's going to be mad at us or whatever. And then uh, like one line right after that is he goes, we get more butts than an ashtray. <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny.
0: Well, I was thinking of that it wasn't a fire marshal, it was a stripper dressed
1: up in suspenders. Yes, that's (laughs) right. I couldn't remember what the line was, but yeah. It was great. What's your second Dunzo Award? This show also gets the infamous Waste of a Posein Award, which goes to Brian Posein being an integral character in the pilot, and then not really coming back until episode seven, I want to say. And he played this stupid security guard that legally could not be fired by them because he signed a contract after some accident happened to him so there was this sort of promise of this inept neighborhood security going on that wasn't realized i don't know if they just retooled or if he was busy and you know couldn't come back until episode seven or something but I was looking forward to him interacting with them more, and then that never really happened. Because, like, as, as a character, like, I think whatever you know, it's there's not that much to do with him. But put Brian Posehn, who is a great comedy mind, with these two, I think we could have gotten some better moments, and maybe he could have tagged along on some of their adventures in ways that I would have enjoyed. So. It was just kind of a waste of a Posehn, John.
0: Yeah, it really was. Did I tell you I one time saw Brian Posehn in the wild? No. It was outside of the Guardians of the Galaxy ride at Disneyland, which was honestly the perfect place to see Brian Posehn.
1: Okay. Was he with it his kids? It made really happy.
0: Uh, I think his kids were like, on the ride, and he was waiting for them outside of it. Did he That's have what a, it seemed like.
1: Did he have a big beard?
0: Oh, yeah. Big, big beard. Nice. That was another waste of a Posein, was he was a clean-shaven Posein.
1: Right. Well, that this man looks better with a beard. 2004, and when did Arrested Development start? 2003? Yeah. Before that, they didn't let anyone have a mustache on Fox, John. So, <laughs> you know. No. Couldn't shake the boat too much. Uh, what's your second Dunzo?
0: My second Dunzo is... The Best Use of Nostalgic Sports Award, and that goes to the Slam Ball Court. Oh, man, I was hyped to see that Slam Ball Court. That made me so
1: freaking happy. What a weird sport Slam Ball is. And what was funny about that sequence was it wasn't even funny. They were just playing Slam Ball.
0: I know! It was just dudes doing dunks on trampolines, which is all Slam Ball needs to be. And that was just the first 90 seconds of an episode. I was so frickin' jazzed. They were just doing moves, and they just had this half-court Slam Ball court in the back. Oh, it was incredible to watch. It made me so happy. I don't have anything more to say than Slam Ball deserves a renaissance. Did you watch it when it was a thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I watched it a little bit when it was a thing, but I just like the idea of slam ball more than watching like entire slam ball matches. Like five minutes of like slam ball highlights is enough serotonin to get you through an entire month.
1: As a person with ankle and back issues, (laughs) trampolines in general terrify me. But the idea of playing slam ball, I don't know why, but my paranoia would be getting too much air. And having my leg end up in the basket and then, you know, getting caught by the knee and kind of dangling and like tearing my ACL or something like that.
0: Well, your fears are valid and I accept them, even though I don't agree with your feeling
1: because slam ball is dope as hell. Is there any sort of secret slam ball obsession that you have, like your uh, supermarket sweep obsession? Were you ever watching it for hours and hours and hours on end? No, not
0: hours and hours on end. But honestly, if Slam Ball did make a big comeback, uh, it would
1: take up most of my time, I, I would say. I bet you could get a solid couple hours on YouTube right now.
0: I'm sure I could. I have found a couple. I have spent a couple hours watching Slam Ball.
1: Was it like, like a know, league?
0: Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it was a league. Well, just as Slam Ball was canceled... Method and Red was also canceled. But why, you may ask? Well, we'll get to that after this commercial break. And now, a word from our sponsors Method and Red debuted on Fox in June of 2004. They made 13 episodes of the show, only nine of which aired. The ninth episode aired in August of 2004. It was an interesting sort of time slot that they put it in. Uh, so it debuted summer of 2004. Ian, there is a very specific show that was airing on Fox that when I say it, you'll be like, wow, because you haven't thought about it in forever. Wait, wait, but I'm, I'm curious gonna, if you could think about it. I'm going to guess. Yeah, I want I want you to guess. Its lead was Oliver Bean. Oh, that is an excellent guess. Um, no, the simple life. Oh. <laughs> the simple life was the lead in to Method and Red, the Paris Hilton Nicole Ritchie quote unquote reality show. Well, they had quite a lead in then. I know. I think it was sort of like reruns at that time because again, summer, not really much happening there. There was a lot of talk, at least at the time of, and a lot of talk is definitely relative, but that there was some clashes kind of on set, really right at the outset. I mean, MTV had an article come out that said, I mean, the title of the article was Only Thing Meth Red Dislike About Method and Red, the title. It almost seemed like they didn't think like right at the outset that they were the right people for this type of show. So Method Man has kind of gone out to say that he didn't really like the show. Redman didn't really like the show, particularly what they did with it. Here's a quote from uh, Red Man that he put into a different interview in September of 2004. He said, I'm not complaining about money. I'm not complaining about promotions. I'm complaining about where are they trying to go with these storylines? I'm a grown-ass man. I shouldn't be at a kid's birthday party on TV. Me and Redman, what we didn't realize when we came into this and tried to do this television show is that we already had an audience. We was bringing an audience to Fox. They had us feeling like we was going to broaden our audience. See, the audience we brought to Fox, they alienated them off top, if you ask me. I'm not bad-mouthing the show, because for real, if me and Redman wasn't on the show, it would be great. The writing was not bad. It just wasn't for me and Redman. If Keenan and Kel was on there, it would have been funny. But me and Redman, based on our past, our fans already see us as hardcore stoners or whatever. Then they look at the show and they see us speeding stuff up, using sound effects like boying. They look at this like, what in the hell? I'm looking at it the same way. I appreciate Fox for giving us the opportunity to do it. It just wasn't a good marriage. We had to divorce.
1: Wow. That's exactly what we talked
0: about. I know. I know. So, I mean, he felt the same way. I was reading in other things that... It seemed like Method Man really wanted this to be his Arrested Development. Like, he saw what Fox was doing earlier in the season and was like, I want to do that. I want something that's a little bit more grounded, a little bit more deadpan. Because, I mean, again, if Red Man is the fool, Method Man is the sort of deadpan side of things. And I think he plays that really well. So he was like, Fox did Arrested Development. I want to do more of that. And then I'm sure he saw the edits and was like, oh, no, (laughs) this is not what I was hoping this was going to be. I didn't want uh, them to throw the camera at me. I didn't want weird sort of fish-eyed lens and uh, sound effects and that kind of thing. Again, going back to my point about I think there was a good show in there, I think Method Man thought there was probably a good show in here, too, and it wasn't the show that was being aired.
1: Really makes me wonder who this Cal Cahoon guy was. (laughs) I mean... Really, like... Does he really exist? Who knows? (laughs) No, I just mean it was such a strange marriage to me. Yeah. Like, I wonder if they had ever even met before.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if, you know, Method Man has a co-created by credit on this show. I wonder if he was in the room very much at all
1: there. Yeah, me too. Well, that all makes sense. I mean, I assume that it had bad ratings as well. I didn't find
0: anything much on the ratings, but... It was interesting because apparently it was never officially canceled. They went on an extended hiatus for quote unquote retooling. And then they just never came back to it. Wow. And that is still like the official reason. Like, hey, it could come back. It's not coming back. Obviously it's been 17 years,
1: but John, it's been almost 20 years.
0: Oh yeah. It's 2023. What is time? (laughs) Gotcha. Time just got got you, son. You are feeling cocksure, aren't you? Uh, No. I would too. I would too. So, yeah, they seemingly wanted to take it back, see what they could do after they pulled it apart, and maybe revisit it in a future season. But clearly Method Man had no desire to be a part of anything like this in the future much
1: like a small child with a scalpel they discovered that after you cut it open take the arms and legs off and stick it in the eyes it's not just gonna come back to life because you tape everything back together
0: we all have that fantasy of just stabbing things right
1: uh yeah i know what kind of child that does that grows up into people like you it makes this face Oh God, you don't want to see the face he's making, but it's smiling at me and I don't like it. It's smiling, but not happy. Anything else about the show you wanted to talk about, John? No, I mean, again,
0: it had potential, surprisingly, and there just wasn't enough in there to make it work. And actually, no, I take that back. There was too much in there that it didn't work.
1: There was so much in there and it did not work because of it. What about you? One thing I wanted to point out was it was surprisingly political at points where they'd say stuff like, how do you keep a black man in jail? Oh, vote George W. Bush in for the next election Uh, because there's an episode where their friend is in jail and he's going to get out, but they find out that his girlfriend is pregnant with someone else's baby, so they conspire to keep him in jail for several more months. Which was a pretty wacky concept. I got to hand it to them there.
0: Yeah, they had other things, too, where, like, they would bleep stuff. And at one point, they, like, bleeped police. And they were like, police isn't a swear. And they were like, eh. No, no, like, no.
1: You got that wrong. So they okay. said, call the police. But they bleeped the word call because normally they wouldn't be saying, call the police. They'd be saying, F- the police. Yeah. And yeah. so he goes, wait, call a- isn't a swear. And then later in that episode, uh, neighbor lady's like, I will kick you in the butt cheeks. But they bleep butt cheeks as if she's saying ass. And then yeah. they're like, hey, butt cheeks isn't a swear. So that was like one episode. They had a lot of fun doing that. Um, yeah. But another thing, like the f*** the police thing, was they were trying to throw a party and the power literally went out. So they create what they call a ghetto power plant and they go fight the power literally (laughs) and I was just like are they doing this or the writers doing this you know like I I don't know what's going on here everything was just a weird mismatch
0: of intentions and what we got was nine episodes of this and if you want to watch it it's on YouTube but I think I'm all set on method and red Ian where can people find us
1: uh, they can find us at One and Done TV on Twitter and Instagram and Hive Social and YouTube Shorts and blah, blah, blah. And they can find us running out of things to say about this show because I knew we would not have a lot to say, but this could be our shortest episode ever. And you can email us, oneanddonepod at gmail.com. Uh, let us know why it shouldn't have been Method and Red and it should have been a Wayans family collaboration and how that could oh. have really saved this show. Um, email us and tell us who Kel Cahoon is also. I mean, obviously we could do some more research on this, but it is fascinating to me, this parent. Kel Cahoon, come at us. Who are you? Email us, Tell Kel us your Cahoon. story. We dare you. Okay. <laughs> and also how many podcasters ever talk about you? Okay. So you better email us. I would love to hear your side of it. I would love to hear your I experience. I would really love to hear Kel's side of it. And then if it was Keenan and Kel and Kel, shh, there's the show. I'd watch there that There is low hanging fruit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, you could do that. Uh, buy yourself a lodge, pan scraper, Venmo me at Hamil chin. Haven't plugged that in a while. um, And also, I don't know, uh, send your hate mail to John. And his address will be in the show notes. Uh, We'll be back next
0: week with The Society, Netflix's one season high concept teen drama. But until then, break society. Anarchy is among us. Let's light the fires that will stoke a revolution.
1: If you say so, I've never seen it.
0: brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.